uh, still have a, a great crowd of you this morning and look forward to what God's put on our heart to teach, really to teach this week. Man, I want to encourage you for Sunday's message before I jump into this one. Sunday's message, uh, these messages are really starting to, to come on. Um, early this morning, I, I uh, got a phone call from a friend of mine, Steve Friscoe, and we were visiting on the phone about what God's doing and kind of what, what he's putting together um, and what we believe he's putting together for the house of God um, around the world. And so as we were talking, it was just filling me up on some things for this coming Sunday. So I'm real excited about Sunday's message. And I'm excited about the message that I've got for you this morning. This message is a simple message. We'll move fairly quick through it. But uh, it should help us understand uh, one thing, that we are seeing worship given in so many areas today. I've seen a lot of worship through politics. Let me just say this, that, that God will not skip the church house for the White House. All right, that's just not going to happen. It, it should begin with us. And when I say that, what I mean by that is the house of God, when it does what it's supposed to do, it'll take care of a nation. I mean, that's, that's, as a matter of fact, house in Scripture is actually found three different ways. In the Old Testament, a couple of ways. There is the house of God, which refers to the temple. And then there is, of course, the, the house of, of David. And that refers to a people or to a family, if you will. And then, of course, in the New Testament, the Lord builds his house. And, and as the Lord builds his house, that's the body of Christ. And so God is, is always building, and he's looking for people to come alongside and to build through us and with us for the sake of all of his houses, if you will. It should go from our personal homes to the church house to the White House to the nation. All right, and we'll start unpacking some of that uh, later on as we go through this series. Today I'm going to talk about worship because if we worship the wrong things, then our house will never be in order. A house divided cannot what? Stand. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for this morning. It's great to be back. Haven't taught here in a few weeks. And Lord, it's just a, uh, it's always a privilege to get to teach. And Lord, to teach your word, I pray I'm faithful to it this morning as we uh, learn more about who you are and what you have for us in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Years ago, I had the opportunity when I when I got out of the military I was at school here at WT and uh, they were having a uh, one night it, it was kind of interesting on a on a uh, Saturday night I had been right up the street here at a place that is the loft church because I wanted to worship and so I'm just kidding guys it's midnight rodeo but it's turning into the loft and I, I had been there one Saturday night with a friend of mine she was a female um, we were not dating. We knew one another for years, and we were just really good friends, loved to go up there and dance, and we had been up there dancing that night, and we were coming back, and, and we actually rode in her car, and she was taking me to my apartment, and she dropped me off at the apartment, and I went to get out. She said, Curtis, what do you think you're going to do? Where are you going to be in life? And I said, I don't know. I said, I want God to do one thing with me. I want him to reveal that to me, and I don't know that he's going to do it with the lifestyle that I currently have. And I just stepped out of the car, I walked into my apartment, and, uh, and it was almost like a spoken prayer when I said it. Have you ever done that? You just kind of speak where you are in life, and it's kind of like you're speaking your prayer, your want, your need. You know you're in need, you need something better, you need something strong. You're not living the life 
that you know you're called to live. I go into my, it's late, it's probably 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning. I go into my apartment, go back there and I sit in bed and my phone starts ringing. And I'm like, who in the world would call me at this time of night? And I walk in and as I, as I go in there, they had already hung up and started leaving a message. And it was my physics study partner. Her name is Coloma Amaguer. And Coloma was leaving a message to say, hey, Curtis, we have a mission trip coming up through the BSM and we need drivers and drivers have to be 25 years of age. And I was curious if you might want to drive on a mission trip to, to South Padre Island. Well, I heard South Padre Island over spring break. And so I was like, hey, if I'm going to go on a mission trip, that's the one for me. So I immediately called her back that night. All that happened within the same night. I've never forgotten it because when I went on Beach Reach and was a driver with Buddy Young, who's still at the BSM over here at WT. Some of you may know Buddy Young. As I went on that, uh, one of the things I noticed within, by the second night is how all these kids, these college students, would run forward for worship. And I was always in the very back. I thought, you know, I grew up Methodist, and I thought, you know, that back seat was uh, for the youth and for the young adult, you know. So I sat in the back while everybody rushed forward, got up in the front, and man, they threw their hands in the air, and they were authentic, and they loved, and they were encouraging, and they were embracing. And it was real interesting to watch because uh, it moved me. Their worship and their way of worship moved me to a place of understanding because I started asking questions. I thought these people were Baptists. I didn't know Baptists worship this way. I didn't know that they were going to come back there and want to pray for me. I had no idea that they were going to preach to me the scriptures in the way that they did. Every time I turned around, another one was saying, hey, Curtis, I feel like the Lord said, watch, look at this scripture, pay attention to this. There was a little girl there that I've never forgotten who just prayed scripture continually. Wherever we went, she just had a photographic memory. As a matter of fact, uh, later on, I would date her, and she is a pastor's daughter here in town. Um, some of you know uh, Ricky Griffin. And this was Ricky's daughter, Marcy. And she just memorized scripture. She was amazing. And uh, I, it was at that time that God really turned me around. But he turned me around this way by watching other people worship what is true, what is right, and what is righteous. That's what I noticed. There was something attractional about that. I knew that it was true. I knew that it was real. See, here's the thing. We are all worshipers. We're worshiping something. And all you do in every place, it's who you are. Uh, Louis Giglio, as a matter of fact, says that almost exactly. He says that it's who you are to be a worshiper in every place to be a worshiper. You will worship. Years ago, there was a song that came out called This Is The Air I Breathe. Any of you remember that song? This is the air I breathe. Your whole... Okay, I just ruined it for all of you. It was a great song, and it's all about worship. Worship is our response to that which we value the most in our lives. And so what air do we breathe? Do we breathe the air of the culture? Do we breathe? Fortunately, we're not breathing the air in California right now. Right? We need to pray for Seth Pear. Seth Pear's over there along with, uh, geez, we've got a couple of firefighters over there as well. Um, keep, uh, Bo Hargrave. Thank you. Yeah, Bo Har Hargraves over there. Um, anyway, be praying for them, you know, but, but what air do you breathe? What air do you breathe? Because what we breathe in is what we breathe out. Worship is our response to that which we value most. 
Many say they worship every Sunday. Others who rarely darken the church doors would say worship isn't a part of their lives because they simply aren't religious. Now, I want you to hear me. Everybody has an altar and everybody has a throne. It may not be God's altar. It may not be God's throne, but everybody has an altar because the way that he made us innately inside of us innately, we are called to worship and we're called to worship him. But if we don't, we will choose to worship something else in our lives. Many of us worship ourselves. And, and the hard thing about worshiping yourself is yourself will age one day. And one day you'll go, man, this vessel was never worth the worship I gave it. So here's the thing. Harvest Amarillo. We might as well um, talk about some of our differences up front. For instance, we do not do special music on Sunday morning worship. Have you ever noticed? Anybody ever noticed that? I mean, I grew up in Methodist church where somebody got up and sung, all right? And as they sung, we passed the offering plate, and you were supposed to drop money in there. And I noticed that if the singing were really bad, we didn't draw in near as much money, you know? So we just did away with the offering. I'm just kidding. All right, now I will say this, that unfortunately, a lot of people look for the stage through the church, and the stage will bring the wrong kind of worship. We don't do special music on Sunday mornings because we're not here to perform before any audience other than the audience of one. We are here to lead others into the presence of God, not to lead them into the presence of us. Our goal is not to be recognized by our greatness, but to bring God recognition for His greatness. We lay ourselves down. We're not looking to build ourselves up. As I say that, I stand <laughs> on a uh, stage that's been extended this week, right? Bigger stage. Um, just know that that's so we can lead you better in worship, all right, to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. So our goal is not to be recognized by our greatness, but to bring God recognition for his greatness. We lay ourselves down. We're not looking to build ourselves up. So in all of us, there's a need, a draw, an unquenchable thirst to go deeper with God. And one of the ways this happens, no doubt, is through worship. We must recognize our need and the needs of others to go deeper in worship. Look, anytime you go deeper in worship, I want you to hear something, man. Anytime you're willing to put on Christian music, for example, you become an influence for others to learn how to worship. Uh, the air, the airwaves. Think about the airwaves for just a minute. In the book of Ephesians, the scripture says that there is a prince of the air. Do you know who the prince of the air is? Satan, all right? The prince of the airwaves, if you will. Now, if you take it off of air one or, or uh, um, geez, what's the other one? Caleb, I, I prefer Caleb myself. I'm is this being recorded? It is being recorded. Um, but Kayla, or Air One is just uh, uh, sometimes a little more performance-oriented than worship-oriented to me. But, but when you listen to Christian music and that type of thing, you're replacing what's in the airwaves. Because all of you know, as you leave the church this morning and as you go into your work areas, you're going to hear some words said within the air that you, you would say, that's not appropriate for the church house. Well, why is it appropriate for your house? You got to ask some tough questions. You put it on Z93, 93.1. And hey, I, I mean, I like to find out if, if my pickup's got some bass in it too. All right? 
But, but the truth is you got to be careful with what, what is being sung through the airwaves because what's coming through the airwaves is really the air that you breathe oftentimes. And if we're not careful, you'll give it worship. It's, sometimes I'll listen just, just to hear what's being said in this type of music, in different types of music, if, if you will, in, in music that's, that's not Christian. And as I listen to that kind of music, uh, I listen to the words and, and I try to, try to bring out what they're saying. And it's amazing the degradation of women that's found in secular music. I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm not telling you to go listen to it. But, and, and so what they're doing is worshiping their manliness, what they consider manliness, by women doing this and them having the opportunity to wear this kind of bling and all. Guys, careful. Our world needs to see true worshipers. Jesus makes this clear when he talks to the woman at the well. Those who worship will one day worship in what? In spirit and in truth. That there's going to be a pure form of worship. And today we stand on the other side of the cross where that can literally happen regardless of where you are or what you are doing. It can literally happen. Some of the purest forms of worship are found outside the walls of this church and have no reference to God or any of his creation. Now, let me say that again because it just changed gears on you. Some of the purest forms of worship are found outside the walls of the church. Now, that can be for our God or it can be in opposition to our God. Many of of the forms of worship have absolutely no reference to the God of all creation. All you have to do is drop in on a concert or sporting events to see amazing worship. People are going for it, lifting hands, shouting, staking their claim, standing in awe, declaring their allegiance to something other than God. Here's why, because we'll all worship. Hey, I like it when my football teams win, right? Uh, my, my kids grew up watching their parents watch Duke basketball their whole lives. They know if Duke is playing, in some ways, for a couple of hours, the world shuts down. By the way, uh, Duke's got a team this year. I'm just saying, right? But I'm not going to worship them. If I worship them, they would be the, I'd be worshiping the blue devils. And I'm supposed to be a godly man worshiping Jesus Christ. We have to be careful because we state claims and we declare allegiance to other things than God himself. In Romans 1, 18 through 23, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what, we, since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and, and birds and animals and reptiles. Look, if you choose not to give God what He desires, you'll worship anyway. Simply exchanging the Creator for something that He has created. I, I love... I, I love music. Um, I, I, I've told Brett this for years. One of these days I'm going to write a series on, on rhythm. Most of us are, are white or Hispanic in here. Um, we, don't, we don't really know rhythm. Uh, 
I watch you clap on Sunday mornings, right? But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. A rhythm is a gift from God. What's the first identifier for life in the womb? It's not just the heart. It's what? The heartbeat. There, there's a rhythm there. There's something that, that gets us going. There's a, beast, there, there, there's a beat. There's a start, right? And, and here's, here's how God does it. He does this, and, and as we grow, I, I was watching on, on Facebook Brett's little daughter and, and how she uh, the other day was in, in worship and or standing outside the walls here. And I don't know if y'all saw, saw them. I guess Kendra posted that, Brett, but she's, she's got rhythm. I mean, she hears the beat and she starts going, and, and it's already in her because it's attractional. God has given us a way. Music is just a gift in worship. I told the worship team the other day, I walked in and they were going and, and they kind of took a break and I was just sitting down in here listening and I said, hey, I just want you to hear something. I want you to know something. That music and instruments and your voices, those are beautiful, but they're simply gifts in addition to worship. Do you worship with your vessel? Do you worship? We have to remember there are all forms of of worship and we have to be careful because we don't want to exchange the creator for something that he's created music is beautiful it's wonderful i don't worship music i can worship with music others can lead me with their voices and and others can deter me with their voices simple definition now i'm just saying all right but one time i I heard a lady say this, said, God gave me this voice. He's going to have to listen to it. That's, that's not a bad response to God. I think that's great. So simple definition of worship. It's our response to what we value most in our lives. Worship is our response to what we value most in our lives. Every human being, every soul worships. On planet Earth, we have a multitude of souls proclaiming with every breath what is worthy of their affection, what is worthy of their attention, what is worthy of their allegiance. I had a man at Happy one time. Uh, I was walking out of the church and, and came down to the end of the steps and he pulled up and he said, Hey, preacher, you know, I, I've heard that uh, a lot of great things are happening at this church. One of these days I'm, I'm going to show up at this church, but I just want you to know I feel closer to God at the third fence post on the ranch than any church I've attended. And I've shared this before. Um, you know, and I, and I told him, I said, well, you may, be, you may have attended the wrong church uh, if that's the case. If the third fence post, you can worship better there than you can at the church. We've, we've got a problem. We've got a situation, right? Um, listen, everybody has an altar and every altar has a throne. Every altar has a throne. Be careful where your altar is. Be careful, most importantly, where the throne is. Worship is our response. And when I say an altar, let me say this. What did they do at the altar? If you don't know the difference between an altar and a throne, let me explain that real quick. What did they do at altars? They sacrificed. And so a good way, and, and we'll get this here in just a minute, but a good way to know where your altar is is where do you sacrifice your time, your energy, your efforts, those types of things. Now, the throne is who sits on that throne. And sometimes we can have an altar built and not even realize we're the ones on the throne. 
Worship is our response to what we value most. We are pre-wired for worship. This means it's an innate trait. And here's why. Because the creator in the book of Genesis, all right, and the created, which is us, the goal of the creator is not to be disconnected from what he created. So the created should always have a yearning to return back to its what? Creator. Creator. All right, stay with me. So this person, this thing, this experience is what we value most in our life. That's called worship. If we put a name on it, something you own, a job, a name, a business, a fame, maybe it's fame, maybe it's fortune, where I see a lot of people trying to get to or to obtain is position. Paul in Acts chapter 17, he's, he preaches here on this journey. He's, he, is, uh, he winds up at Athens, and when he gets to Athens, um, there's some Epicureans and Stoic philosophers, and, and basically what they do is they, these are philosophers who just sit around and, and kind of make things up on who, possible, who, who, who possibly created the world and, and, and anything else that goes on within it. And some of them ask, about Paul. What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked he seems to be advocating foreign gods, which is interesting because that's what they, what, that's what they were bringing up all the time were foreign gods. All right. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Now this is Acts 17, 18. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting. Uh, let me see. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So uh, that's in Scripture. All right? I'm just telling you. So this is what's interesting to me. So here are some guys that are saying, wait a minute, who is this new philosopher that just joined our group that's bringing up these crazy ideas? And the scripture said, hey, you guys are already crazy, basically. That's my interpretation. Verse 22, Paul then stood up in a meeting of Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And at that time, he goes into the gospel of Jesus Christ. He unpacks it for them to say there's one true God and he is worthy of your worship. He's revealing what their hearts are really looking for. Paul is leading them to bring their affection to the one true God. Paul understands their need to expose their heart so God can write on it. Men, I'm going to tell you, and, and you'll hear this again Sunday, but when we relinquish the word of God for something else, our worship will go to something else. This is why the word of God is so important to us. It brings the good news of Jesus Christ. In many ways, it's the altar and Jesus is on his throne. It keeps him there when we, when we live our lives accordingly. Look, worship, it's what we do. And we need to know who it belongs to. So how do you know where and what you worship? Here it is. You simply follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your money, and your allegiance. I'll read that again. How do we know where and what we worship? You simply follow the trail of your time, 
your affection, your energy, your money, and your allegiance. That's, that's kind of scary because some of you work 70 hours a week. Now, now listen, where is the temple found? I'm going to help you. Where is the temple found? It's not a trick question. I, guys, I don't throw trick questions at you. You know, where is the temple? It's right here. Right, your body. It, it's right here. It's okay. So regardless of where you are and what you are doing, your temple as long as God's on the throne there, is with you. This is why it, it all changed. It all changed when Jesus, we, we're on this side of the cross, and greater is He that is in me. So Christ in you, you've just got to keep Him in you and in front of you, regardless of where you are and what you're doing. And man, that's not easy. There have been plenty of times when, uh, I can tell you, I used to, to, I used to have a string of horses, six or seven uh, in my string and I tried to keep it at least a minimum of six because at that time I was working at the livestock auctions as well as um, the feed yard and so you'd, you'd ride especially young colts down you just you just wear them out two hours they're done so uh, sweating and all this other stuff but it got to a point where man I knew how to pick a horse I wanted that small head that little neck I wanted that big rump on them the last horse I got I called her J-Lo I mean, that's what I looked for in a horse, right? And, and, and my mind would, would shift gears. And one day uh, I had an old cowboy, his name was Sonny, and, and Sonny pulled up and, and he unloaded at my house. He unloads this horse, pulls it around, and, and ties him to his trailer right there in my front yard. And this was the prettiest horse I had ever laid eyes on. I, can, I, I walked out and Sonny said, hey, and cowboys do this a lot, by the way. What's he going to say? I need some money. Right? And so he brings his best one in the string, pulls it around. I guess he figures the preacher has money. Jeez. Uh, At that time, I mean, uh, you know, I was making 1100 a month, but that's hard to live on. When Anyway, but he brings this horse around. He ties it to the trailer. And I, I walk out and I go, oh, my, that is, if ever there were a picture of a horse, that's when I'm going to ride in the kingdom of heaven right there. I got to have it. And, and Sonny said, hey, you know, now you can see what you got here and all this other stuff. But you want to saddle him up, you ride him right down the middle of the street. You can ride him under any flag that's out there. You can put him in any parade you want to. This horse is broke. This horse is the perfect age. He's seven years old. He is perfect. And I remember walking back in the house and getting my checkbook. And Allison said, what are you doing? I said, babe, look at that horse out there in the yard. I said, I'm going to own that one. That one's going to my string. Went out there and Sonny said, hey, you know, you know as well as I do this $8,500 horse. This is what I'm willing to do for you today and today only. $3,500. Now, if you're in the horse world, that's not a whole lot of money for one that's setting the way he is. You wrote, and, and this was a big stout horse. This wasn't a little calf horse which I was used to, but this is something I could ride all day at the feed yard or the sale barns or in a wheat pasture. And I said, well, I don't have $3,500, Sonny. But I said, I've got about $1,850 left in my bank account right now, and you can have every penny of it for that horse. Oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. And Allison steps out, and she said, you know, we don't, we don't have any money. Get back in the house. 
I'm making a deal. I might turn around and sell that house, to, that horse tomorrow for $5,000, and I had no plan on that. Now, I will tell you, at this time, I was living the cowboy way. I was trading every trailer I had for something better. Anytime I got a chance, I mean, I was swapping horses right and left. I was riding people's horses right and left. I was doing everything I could to make a dollar. I had wheat pasture cattle. Mark Hargrave will tell you that I had told him, hey, you buy every cheap, sick calf you can buy and just put my name on it, and I'll come and get it. I would go up there and load 30, 40 head at a time, bring them home, and just try to straighten them out. I had a straighten, I had a, a little yard myself at that time with four pins that sits west of Happy about four miles. I was swapping, trading, doing everything I could to make a living. I was supposed to be preaching the gospel on Sunday mornings, and there were many Saturday nights I was writing my message for Sunday morning. God had taken a second in my life. I gave every dime I had for that horse. Two weeks later, that horse was dead in my lot, in my pen. The healthiest, best look. I got to ride him two times at the Tulia Livestock Auction. Twice. Once at the Amarillo Livestock Auction and one time out at the feed yard before he died. I never got to rope off of him. I did a breakaway on him one time, and that was it. This beautiful, picturesque, I had more people come out and say, that's the prettiest horse I've ever seen. I'd ride him before I'd load him. Instead of, you know, just leading him out across the parking lot, I'd ride this horse out in the parking lot. People would be like, you know, buy all the cowboys over there to my little trailer throw him on this was my I, he was pretty he was big he was stout he was muscular he had everything you wanted but that morning i'll never forget driving out there all my other horses standing up around him and him on his side dead dead and the lord told me careful even pastors can have false gods they can have altars they can have thrones that i'm not a part of so here's the thing Pay attention to the trail that you're on. Whatever, whomever is on that throne and what's of highest value to you. Because on that throne is what you worship. And look, the trail never lies. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray, Lord, that money wouldn't be at the end of our trail. Retirement wouldn't be at the end of our trail. Father, that truly the end of our trail is the beginning with you for eternity. But let us have hearts that are pure in our worship. Let us offer ourselves to you regardless of the work week, regardless of all the things and all the responsibilities, because we know if we don't go out and take care of our responsibilities, they don't get done, Lord. You know that. But they don't have to be gods in our lives. You go with us and show us and teach us how to worship wherever, whenever, at all times, may our lives be full of worship of you. In Jesus' name, amen.